our children's children um, look back at the hands that we were dealt and say, wow, y'all did a lot with those cards. But we have these new and shiny cards, this brand new deck that doesn't even look like the cards that, that we were dealt. And they have a whole level of possibility of, of opportunity than I ever had. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Created Equal, Walking Uphill Both Ways, Black Women and the Fight for Equality. Created Equal is presented in partnership with Leon County Government, and funding for this podcast series is provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. All right, now let me tell you about this fascinating program. Black women in America have historically faced an intersectional disadvantage due to both race and gender discrimination. And these challenges continue to persist today, despite black women being the anchor for their families, networks, and communities. Today, we'll have the opportunity to hear from black women representatives from the areas of healthcare, education, community, and the economy as we attempt to put ourselves in their shoes and understand the struggles they face. As you know, if you're a regular listener, our panels typically include lots of ideological and racial diversity, which allows us to explore various perspectives of an issue. Well, this program is a little different for us. It's a beautiful opportunity for deep listening on a topic that's really hard to fully see if you're not walking in these shoes. But the women joining us today do an incredible job of helping us really, really feel what it's like to be them. And somehow they do it with laughter and a connectedness that I think you're going to feel all the way through the airwaves. Today's moderator is Nicole Everett, host of Conversations with Nicole, now in its 12th season of important and inspirational conversations. And you can find this online at cwnmoments.com. And Conversations with Nicole is also on the Greater Works Network of Roku TV and on YouTube and, you know, all the other places online, Facebook, etc., Okay, now today's panelists for this conversation are Dr. Temple Robinson, CEO of Bond Community Health Center, Dr. Tamara Bertrand Jones, Associate Professor of Higher Education in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at Florida State University, Christique Henry, a major community advocate and president and managing broker of Kingdom First Realty. And finally, Dr. Shanta Friday-Stroud, vice president of university advancement and executive director of the FAMU Foundation at Florida A&M University. All right, now before I turn it over to Nicole, remember the Village Square is a proud member of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can all work together to fix it. So check them out for more great shows. All right, time to turn it over to Nicole Everett of Conversations with Nicole. But we're going to get this, this party started. So first question is, what does it mean to you to be a black woman in America? I'm going to go first. Okay. <laughs> for me, it, it really means the world is my oyster, but... A lot of things have to line up in just the right way for this to happen. You, know, you can't change who you are. You can't change where you were born or how you were born or where you grew up. But you have to learn to strategically play the hand that's dealt you. Mm. That's 
that's me. So I'll add to that. Um, I agree, being, playing the hand that you've been dealt to the best of your ability, right? And not making excuses for what is. As I tell my child, you just have to suck it up and deal with it. Life is not fair, but it is what it is. And then you learn the rules of the game, and then you learn how to play them better than anybody else. All right, anybody else? No pressure, we can move okay, on. Okay, me, oh. hey y'all, okay. Being a black woman in America, hmm, so much that can be said, but I will say this. For me, being a black woman in America has meant being okay with people not being okay with me being a black woman in America. It has meant me reaffirming my identity, reaffirming myself, owning my brilliance in a way that's authentic to me, and being all right with looking at the sister next to me and saying, you are absolutely outstanding. That's what being a black woman in America is for me and will be for me moving forward. So I have this, this tension about um, being a black woman. I love me. Um, I love the hand that I have been dealt. But I also want some new cards. And I also believe that we can have new cards. That just because of that, I was dealt this hand of racism, of sexism, of all of the other isms, that I can't create a community, we can't create a world where Dr. Friday Stroud's daughter does not have to deal with these same cards. That our children's children um, look back at the hands that we were dealt and say, wow, y'all did a lot with those cards. But we have these new and shiny cards, this brand new deck that doesn't even look like the cards that, that we were dealt and they have a whole level of possibility of, of opportunity than I ever had. And so I, I battle that, that desire, um, that dream of having and being and doing more and being in a world that allows that and playing that hand and playing it well um, so that I can survive and hopefully thrive but it's that tension for me that, that I struggle with in being a black woman. All right, thank you. So Dr. Jones, I'm gonna start with you because now we're gonna add on to that question. What does it mean to, black, to be a black woman and navigating the educational system? So my mother always told me that education was paramount. She did not accept less than an A. If I got a B, I came home scared. We could not see what in the world was a C, let alone anything beyond that. And so I think about the children, the, the girls that we are raising and the expectations that we have of them, uh, the level of responsibility that we place on them and the the great things that that does in terms of it instills resilience, it instills drive and motivation, but it also can be pressure, unnecessary pressure that we deal with when we are entering new spaces or we enter spaces that were not designed for us. And let's be real, education as we have designed it was not meant for black people. It was not meant even for women. And so, it is that in how do we make sure that our schools, our colleges and universities are places where all of our children, but especially our black girls and our black women can thrive? How do we make sure that when they enter classrooms, they see faculty that look like me, that, um, that are their teachers, that have doctors in front of their name, that are in the classroom? that their teachers and their principals and their assistant principals look like us um, so that they can have those possibility role models. 
so that we can be at the table to make sure to be able to explain some of the cultural nuance that is blackness and create an opportunity or create a world where our children can thrive because they see the possibilities. They're in places that understand and can um, support their growth and development. And unfortunately, our current education systems don't do that. We've been able to thrive in spite of black women have earned more bachelor's degrees, more master's degrees, more doctoral degrees than black men. We've also earned more, uh, about 10 years ago, we were the leading group of women who were er out earning undergraduate and graduate degrees, but no longer. And I asked myself, well, why is that? Why is that? And as we talk to students, we talk to young women about their experiences in education, they're tired. They're tired of being in spaces that are not affirming or welcoming. They're tired of being in classrooms where they don't see themselves. At the same time, there's the possibilities of more, that we are more and more students are pursuing uh, higher education. More and more of us are pursuing doctoral degrees and pursuing faculty careers and administrative careers. And so again, it goes back to that tension of being in a place that was not necessarily designed for me or designed for us, but also coming up with ways that we're able to thrive and we're able to grow and develop and create a new environment for other children and other students that are coming behind us. All right, thank you. Dr. Friday Stroud, how do you navigate being a black woman in the business environment? So I'll go back to what I said in the first, to answer the first question. Mm -hmm. You first have to learn the rules of the game. And once you learn them, you have to play them exceptionally well. But you always have to be prepared that the rules will change. Mm -hmm. Because just about the time you start to master them, they will change. So you always have to recognize that the only constant is change, right? And at the moment that you get complacent and think that I have arrived is the moment you get passed up. So you always have to be in a posture of learning, of connecting, of reaching, of climbing, but just as importantly, pulling others up with you. Because you can't make it in this world, and definitely not in the world of business, by yourself. Hmm. It takes a village, applies to everything, but most importantly, to business because it's a system, it's a microcosm of everything that's happening in the world. Whether it be education, whether it be finances, whether it be community issues, whether it's cultural issues, whether it's internationalization, right? You have to make sure that you are connecting because there's no way that any one person can keep up with all of this at the speed of change, let alone the speed of today's change. So you always have to be in a learning posture. You always have to be at your best. But at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't help others. You can't be a part of that collaborative network that's going to help push others and yourself forward. So you always have to make sure that you are staying abreast of what's going on, taking care of your physical health and your mental health, right? Listening to your body and signs and keeping up with what's going on because again, 
The speed of change today, I don't know about you all, but it's way different for me than what it was even five or 10 years ago, right? And as we age, we also don't process as fast. We don't move as fast, right? But we have, but life is still moving faster. And so you have to find those additional ways to cope and to manage. And again, you can't do it by yourself. It takes a village, but you have to put into the village. You can't expect to withdraw something if you haven't made deposits, right? So in that whole business piece, I'd say that what I love about business, it is applicable to every other aspect of life, right? And understanding that will help you to survive it, but more importantly, thrive in it. Thank you. Dr. Robinson, what is it like to be a black woman navigating the healthcare system? Well, we can talk about this from several venues. We can talk about this from the patient side, all right? Access, historically and now, has always been a problem. Finding a doctor, I'll use the word doctor, but I mean any provider. Finding a provider that you click with. Finding a provider that's trained well. Finding a provider that is compassionate, that you do not feel vulnerable sharing with. Then finding some childcare so you can get to the provider. It's kind of hard to go to a provider and, you, and you've got youngers running around the exam room. Finding a ride to get to the doctor. Finding a doctor that does not discount your complaints and your concerns, all right? Finding a doctor that does not think, oh, a black woman, they can take anything, pain don't bother them, nothing bothers them, you know, they, they can do it all and they can take it all, okay? But someone that really understands, you know, a lot of people using the old phrase, this is an old phrase to me because I like old movies, gaslighting. Oh, the doctors are gaslighting me and telling me I'm crazy, it's all in my head. No, you about to die, okay? It's not all in your head, <laughs> all right? So that's coming from the patient side, access, health literacy. People are dying because they don't even realize that there's a doctor right around the corner, that there's a community health center and, I'm a, and I, I have no shame, I'm gonna tell you about Bond, okay? That there's a community health center right around the corner that does family medicine and OB and prenatal care and mental health and dental services and chiropractor and podiatry services and pediatrics and on and on and on and you're right around the corner. I didn't know they had that there. Well, shame on me if you don't know because that means I haven't told you. So health literacy. And then the health literacy of what it means to be healthy. And that access to quality health care is a civil right. It is your right as a woman and as a black woman to get quality health care. People are dying behind foolishness, okay? Absolute foolishness, meanness. Some people call it unconscious bias. Some of it, people don't want to be conscious. They don't want to know. I'm not going to use the W word, okay? I won't go there. But foolishness. And now think about it from the black female healthcare provider, okay? You just don't wake up one morning and you're a doctor, all right? You can wake up pregnant. That happens all the time. <laughs> but you just don't wake up and say, I'm a doctor, <laughs> all right? The majority of people who get in medical school, go to medical school, are from the upper two-tier um, economic families across the country. 
The average black person who's trying to go to medical school, you can be smart as you want to be. They can't afford the application. They can't afford to sit for the MCAT, that's that long, stupid test that you got to take over two days sometime. They can't afford the MCAT training um, courses. They can't afford to fly for the interviews. If they get one interview and they can get grandma or aunt, aunt, auntie or somebody to drive them there for the interview, they're lucky to go. They can't fly all over the country. Oh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to get an interview there and I'm going to get an interview. Can't do it. And it goes back to, we're, all, we're up here for a reason. Y'all gave me the mic now, so I'm sorry. We're up here for a reason. It is all linked together. If you can't get a good K through 12 education, you're not going to wake up a doctor somewhere. You understand? They do these tests in the third grade and kindergarten for a reason. They're already weeding black people and poor people and black women out way back in elementary school, okay? I watch NCAA basketball for two reasons. I like sports and Bond got commercials on. I want to make sure I'm getting my money's worth, all right? <laughs> I paid for it. But in between there, I hope y'all saw in the paper, some, is that a cue for me to hush? Uh, am I having a stroke? Wait a minute. <laughs> I hope y'all saw in the paper a young lady, her name is Tamia Porter, or Tamia Porter. Graduated from FAMU. Now, think about how backwards this is. This is 2023. She is the first black female neurosurgery resident in the history of Commodore Vanderbilt University. Now, think about that. I'm proud of her, but it's a shame that still, we're still walking around talking about, oh, she the first black woman ever rode a horse. She the first black woman ever did this. She the first I'm so sick of it. The school been there 140 something years. They've had a neurosurgery department for almost 100 years. It took a sister from FAMU to be the first black female neurosurgery resident. So when you're talking about becoming a black female doctor, you gotta have somebody to like shadow. You know, so somebody in your family might wanna be a doctor or somebody was a doctor or somebody like me or some of the other doctors in town will let you come and swing on their coattail or whatever, but you just don't wake up. You talking about a village? You just don't wake up and become a doctor. Okay, I'm a hush now. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Robinson. And then Ms. Henry, uh -huh. help us to understand what it's like to be a black woman navigating our community. Whew, all right. I'm a, I'm a reel back in my chair for this one, y'all. <laughs> so being a black woman on the community level, first of all, I wanna give a disclaimer that all black women don't have the same experience on the community level, all right? So when you look at me as a black woman, I, I don't have the same experience as every black woman in the community, okay? I want that to be understood. Some black girls you look can, at. Can I say something? Yes, ma'am. They told us not to have a formal thing. It's supposed to be like in the living room. Uh huh. Yeah. When you've met one black woman, you've met one black woman. Thank you. Okay. So Thank you. That means Thank you're you. not the resident. Uh, okay. Okay. The, the resident okay. expert on okay. black people. I am not the expert on all black women. I, I, I just know me. I just want to, I, I thank you, Dr. Ryan. I told her to do this, y'all. So listen, don't think she, you know. Every black woman ain't the same. Please don't ask me about being a single, raised by a single mama. I wasn't raised by a single mama. My daddy was there every day. And every night when he I picked, came, when I okay, broke curfew. Okay, picked me up from school, dropped me off from school, called to make sure I was at school. My, I, I, I don't know anything about being raised by a single mother. But I do have friends who know something about being raised by a single mother. I don't know anything about gang warfare. I know I was raised in the Tupac generation and I ain't a killer, but don't push me, right? <laughs> I don't know anything about gang warfare, but I do know some folk that know something about gang warfare. 
Being a black woman on the community level, to me, and I, like I said, I'm one black woman. There's plenty of y'all in here. Y'all gonna talk in a minute. Is to experience the status of community of being a leader. Is to experience the rights of agency and impact and all those things on the community level because you are given that in a sense. It's to even experience opportunities on the community level to innovate, to bring change. Many of you in here are change makers, innovators. You experience some level of equality working on the community level. But the equity is sorely lacking. All right, in terms of the fairness. And I, thank you, because that's where I'm going. Under-resourced women killing themselves to make a difference in their community. Thank you, baby. Thank, she, she, she on her job. <laughs> the impartiality. Not judging me according to the next sister, or even according to the next other sister, or even according to your bias. And value, which is why I started out with affirmation. There is no community to me that needs to be more reaffirmed on a regular basis in their capability, in their intelligence, in their brilliance, in their innovation, in their creatorship. I ain't even a word, I created that. That's my word, all right? In their trademarkability than a black woman who has, who has innovated and energized and created and don't get none of the what? You dropping the mic. So we experience <laughs> some levels of equality on the community level, but the equity is a science project. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Henry. All right, my next question is around the intersectionality of race and gender. And in the pursuit of equality, how has that create, created any unique challenges for black women? And I also want you all, I'm gonna throw a little twist in this because somebody just texted me about this, colorism. That I know, that's a whole nother, and we only got five minutes, so y'all better make it happen. Let's go. Who's up first? So I'll start. So the intersectionality of race and gender, and I'll throw a little colorism in there. And I say that I'm throwing that in there because when I look at my family, I have people who could pass for white all the way to people who are as dark as this tablecloth that are in my family, like cousins, like not far removed, right? I could even look at me, my brother, and my sisters who are all different shades. So much so that when my brother and sister were in school, people would ask my sister if she was actually adopted because she was darker, or she is darker than my brother and I, right? But here's one thing that I have to thank my daddy for instilling in us growing up. And that is, you get up every morning, just like every other man, and you put on your pants one leg at a time. And so, you need to be equipped and armed with the knowledge and the courage to demonstrate your capabilities. And so I don't look for other people to affirm what I know I'm capable of. And I will tell people, you gotta get up real early 
and go to bed real late to outwork me, right? And not because I'm trying to prove anything to any one of you all, but because that's how I was raised, right? But you have to, you have to, like I told y'all earlier, I tell my child, like, suck it up and deal with it. Life ain't fair. So you know that coming out the gate. But it is what it is, and you have to figure out how to operate successfully within it. So for me, it's, I recognize who I am, what I am. I am fully aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. And I know in today's modern terms, we call them areas of growth or areas of opportunity. Them suckers are weaknesses. You need to know what they are, and you need to own up to them, right? And I tell people, we are real good at sitting back and judging and assessing other people. Now, child, you know she ain't need to have that on. Now, girl, why are you doing that, right? But what most of us have a problem with doing is turning that mirror on ourselves. Mm. I tell people, I got to be able to go to sleep at night. Mm. Now, some people might not sleep too well. I don't know. And some people may be able to sleep well doing dirty. I don't know. But I wasn't raised like that. I'm not wired like that, right? So understanding who you are, the world in which you operate, while I may want a new shiny set of cards, I'm going to take these ones I have, and I'm going to play them to the best of my ability. And then, don't get me wrong, there are times when things don't go my way, right? And I could get mad and pout, but if I do that, I'm only hurting myself. When I don't get what I want because something wasn't fair, you know what? That pushes me to work harder, do better. Because as my mom always told me, it's more than one way to skin a cat. So I didn't go through that door, but I promise you I'm going to find some other doors and other routes to go through. So you want me to come straight or you want me to come sideways? Either way it go, I'm coming. And at some point, you're going to recognize. All right. Anybody feel we really out of time, but. Anybody time. We, we, we're just getting started. Ma'am, we got table discussions. So I got all this stuff. I, I got, got you, but ma'am, no. So, but I, you, I got if you feel very strongly about, about responding to this question, by all means. About the colorism part? And the intersectionality and the of intersectionality. race and gender. Yes. Well, the intersectionality between race and women is a... It's just a double whammy, and, and people, the world, try to put us at the bottom of the list of everything. So that's the answer to that. But this colorism, part of this, black people, we've done to ourselves, okay? And the other part we won't talk about today was done to us, because ain't a whole bunch of people got off the boat this color and that color, okay? When the boat came over, it wasn't a whole lot of people this color. So we won't talk about this. But, but that's the part, right? But that's the part. That's, that's, the, but that's the part of this conversation. That's the part. So people ask me, they say, well, what are you? I say, I'm Heinz 57. They say, what do you mean? I say, I'm mixed up, all kinds of stuff mixed up in here, okay? Heinz 57, all right? But black people, we have a hard time. We, I know, we have a hard time. You go over here, she, she too white. Go over here, she acting too black. Go over here, something, something, something. You can't win. So all you can do is do you, all right? Walk it like you talk it. Let your work speak for you. So when you show up and your name is Temple Robinson and they hadn't seen no picture or nothing, all they got is your resume, they don't know who's walking in the door. Let your work speak for you. And I'll say this, because I think I'm the only one up here with a quite ethnic name, Shantae. So they know who I am before I'm coming. <laughs> Get there, they know. I'm just saying, my bad. 
so yeah, I, they'll still ask me, well, who are you or what are you? And I say, hey, I was born in Mississippi and my birth certificate says Negro. Mm. Just saying. <laughs> but your hair speaks to you got some Indian in your family. So uh, right. she got that Indian I'm hair. I'm just saying. <laughs> y'all right. laugh because y'all know it's true. <laughs> in closing, and, and gonna, being we're respectful. Let, we're going to let Ms. Dr. Jones wants to speak okay. as well. So. Okay. So I'm gonna be the Debbie Downer. <laughs> because this is a conversation about equality, right? And so we have all worked very, very hard. I would probably, argue, I, I, I probably get a little bit more sleep than Dr. Friday Shroud, um, but I also work hard and would probably be hard pressed to find somebody else that works as hard or cares as much as I do in the work that I do. Um, I have a PhD. I have a master's degree. I have an undergraduate degree. I own my own home. I have a, a rental property. I got a little bit of money in the bank, like $5. <laughs> um, I've won awards in my in my field, been recognized nationally. I have tenure at Florida State University. <laughs> However, that is not protecting me. That does not protect my job, especially in this current political climate where my tenure could be taken because of some whims of others who don't know about my field or about my work ethic or about that. How do we deal with that? Because that's not about how hard I work or meritocracy. It is not about me pulling myself up by my bootstraps because we have done that. Our mothers have done that. Our fathers have done that, which is why we're here today. And hopefully our, your children will be able to not have to do that because we've done it for them. But how do we manage all of this with all of that? Yep. All of that opposition that flies in the face of my hard work, my lack of sleep, <laughs> my accolades and degrees. How do we manage that? How do we, how, how do we manage that? I think that we have to manage it by going back to what Dr. Friday Strauss said earlier is, it is what it is. If we can get past the ideal in our mind and function in the real, then we can innovate. Because what is the centrality of innovation? It's in the face of what? Necessity, okay? And so where we find necessity, let me give you a couple of things to take to your table as you're talking. Black women are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in this nation. They represent in the space more than any demographic. Women, men, otherwise. But guess what? They make $24,000 versus $142,900 for other cultures in their entrepreneurial efforts. They have to self-fund themselves at 61%, meaning that they can't go to the bank and fund their enterprise. 61% of these women funded out of their pockets. And do you know that 29% of them, of that bucket, only makes 75,000 or more a year? So that means the other percentage of that are making less than that and self-funding enterprise. And this is an aspect of attainment to lift our children so that they can become the next generation of professors and doctors and, 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 and esteemed people in our community. So when we talk about this, we have to look at the real. We have to understand that on all levels of community, there are barriers being broken, but we have to be smarter and we have to innovate. Not so that we can have our name on the national stage, but so our children can survive and thrive. And that is what being a black woman is now. It is innovating 
for survival of our children and negating and trying to eliminate the, the, the impacts of public policy on their existence. And that all dwindled down to what? Value. And I'll leave with this. There was a system that existed in this country where if you were black, you could not live in certain neighborhoods. If you were black living in a certain area, your home wasn't even valued the same as other places. What does that mean? That means in the community, your home was valued 25,000 in a community where other people got 100. What did that do to the legacy of wealth in that community? What did that do to the passing down from the generations of generations? Why do I bring this up? Black women lead in home ownership. That is how we experience legacy building. But if we're not getting equal value to be able to send our kids to school, to be able to ex fund experiences that raise their understanding to a level where they can compete by necessity, then there's another conversation here. And that's what I hope we understand. This ain't about how you feel about me as a black woman. Feel about me how you want. But give me what I'm due based upon the systems and the policies that are in place. Or we gonna find a way. Because we are the Tupac generation. I ain't a killer, but don't push me. Thank you, Ms. Henry. <laughs> All right, we are gonna transition on to our Q&A. So if you have a question, if you would put it on the card and hold it up. Are you all enjoying the discussion thus far? All right. Are these ladies passionate? <laughs> Love the passion. Love it. All right. Our first question is, what have you always wanted? I think, it's, I think the question really is, have you always wanted to feel seen? Feel seen. Some days you want to go hide. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that, that base, that's based upon the definition of being seen. You know, what does that mean? Um, I think for us on the community level, being seen is more akin to being respected um, and, and being heard. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, in our work, of course, the necessity is to be seen. It is to be heard because we know what the impact of being seen and heard is. So to me, I think that question is, is synonymous with being heard. Um, and that, that leads to value. So, so yes, you do want to be seen. You want to be heard, you want to be respected, and you want to be valued. Okay, thank you. All right, next question is, how do you stand firm and confident in a room full of overprivileged and undereducated men who refuse to acknowledge your value? Well, well, that's a deep subject. This is um, not literal, literal, but figurative. So sometimes, ladies, you, know, you have to take the heel of your stiletto and you put it in their insole, and you have to shut them down, okay? And that's what, you, that's what we have to do. And I don't mean that in a, well, I, I've had to do that under the table before when man was talking to, Never mind, I won't tell you what he said. But he was talking about the wrong person and the person was running with the other person and that person was the other person's person. And I was under the table and I'm like, would you shut up? We're trying to get this money and you... So anyway, I still say, let your work speak for you and call it out when you see it. Do not let this... Call it out when you see it. If I'm shoulder to shoulder, and I am better prepared, and my product, whatever it is, is a better product, but I'm overlooked, and this person who is ill-prepared, and I'm just I'm using as an example, is a white man, and he gets the promotion, or he gets the raise, you gotta call it out. You've gotta call it out, you just can't sit there and hide and mumble and, and say woe is me and so forth and so on. And you call it out professionally, okay? You don't have to put on a big show, you know, you don't have to be the bad, the bad one, okay? I knew she has a better time before she showed out. No, you don't have to do that, okay? 
but you call it out and you make it stick and you come with facts and then you threaten and say, if you don't fix it, we're going to a whole nother level. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, you have to, you have two ears and a mouth for a reason. So you need to listen. Because sometimes the answers are right in front of us, but we're so busy trying to answer before we get all the information. And so sometimes you just have to sit back, listen, take notes, because your answer is in what's being said. Usually you just haven't taken the time to listen to it, right? And so you gotta formulate a game plan. Y'all ain't, like I'm in the sports too, right? You gotta, you gotta have a game plan. You don't just, you don't go play football using basketball techniques, right? So you have to study. You got to develop a plan. And then you got to execute the plan. And, as she said, don't go and fall into the stereotypical roles that people expect you to, right? Because then you're not going to be respected. You have to speak in a manner in which will command respect and not speak from an emotional perspective, right? Because truth be told, that's what they expect of all women, white women included, right? But you have to leave your emotions, as I say in the car, because I have a lot of conversations with myself in the car. And I have to have, let my emotions out in the car, but when I close that car, get out and close that car door, I'm coming in and it's strictly business. Mm -hmm. And I'm dealing directly with the issue at hand, with all of my facts, and I'm gonna lay out a roadmap. And by the time I finish hitting you, I would have hit you so hard you almost didn't see it coming. And then you'll be able to persuade people to come around to where you need them to be. All right, so I got time for one more question. How do you think the experiences of black women differ from those of white women? They can get in places we can't. They are not looked at in the same manner in which we are looked at when we walk into a room as not only the only woman, but the only black woman, because it's. Dr. Robinson said, we are hit with that double whammy. So they can get into places that we can't get into. They can get into conversations that we can't get into. And people talk about um, superwoman syndrome and imposter syndrome and all of this stuff. And most of us, we really don't have time for most of that. You know, somebody asked me about the imposter syndrome and I'm like, Man, I got the surprise syndrome. People keep asking me to do stuff like this because y'all think I know what I'm talking about. But I don't have a problem with imposter syndrome. But there are things that, as uh, black women, we shy away from. We don't like to feel vulnerable. So we are shying away from asking for uh, mental health and counseling because traditionally that has been seen as a luxury, okay? We're, we're working hard. So we didn't have time, we don't have time to cry, take it to the chair, we, we, you know, we'll be able to catch a preacher and talk with him a little bit. But things like mental health counseling and wellness and mindfulness, we're now learning that it is not a luxury. And y'all excuse me, but it's not something for weak white women, okay? I mean, that's just a stereotype that, oh yeah, you know, weak white women, that's a luxury. They got time to take it to the couch and tell people I don't feel good, my man don't love me, and, and I'm stressed, and I need a pill, and all this kind of stuff. But we have to learn as black women that if we ain't healthy, nobody's healthy, okay? We've got to take care of our families, we've got to take care of our mental health, and we've got to be strong enough to do it, and don't think that 
wellness is a luxury that we can't afford. It's something that at this point you can't not not afford to do it. We've got to treat ourselves better. Had a lady come to me applying for a job, her husband was killed, and she walked in talking about, I'm a single, I'm a single black female, I'm a single, no, how did she say, I'm a single mom. One syllable, wasn't even two words. I said, no, you are a widow, you're not a single mom, nothing wrong with being a single mom, you, anybody here can wake up pregnant in the morning, I'm gonna tell you that, all right? And if you don't have a husband, you a single mom. But we need to value ourselves and that if you are head of a household with children, you're the head of the household with children, and yes, you may be a single mother trying to raise your children, but don't let the world downplay that. Don't use that to the point it becomes a one-syllable word. I'm a single mom. Well, I grew up in South Carolina, okay? And some of the people there were so backwards, and when I, I was probably in the first grade before I realized elementary P wasn't one word, okay? So when I hear I'm a single mom, that's all I can think of. Was, before I saw it printed out on the thing, you know, you sang your ABCs, I thought elementary P was one letter. But I couldn't read, I was in the church choir. I thought they were bombing Gilead. We said, there's a bombing Gilead. I'm like, why did Bob and Gillian? You couldn't, anyway, I digress. I'm gonna put the mic down for y'all, kick me out. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Robinson. All right, we're gonna transition to our table discussion. So I'm gonna invite Vanessa to come back up and give us our instructions from here. Are y'all having a good time? All right. Thank you, Nicole, and thanks to all of you. I think it's clear that we could listen to you all for days. Um, we have a stack, a giant stack of questions. So um, I think that's a sign of a good program and that people want to hear more from you. And I'm sorry we don't have time for all of them. Let's get to the table sharing part. We've got a couple people with microphones walking around. So if you have a um, spokesperson at your table who would like to share a few brief words about the most impactful things or the, the most thoughtful things that you at your table are talking about. That would be great. And here we go, somebody right here up in the center. Hi. <laughs> My name is Angela Green Sherrod. I got married. Some of you probably know me from being a news anchor here in town um, for a long time. My question for our table, and I, full disclosure, I'm the one that texted Nicole the question about colorism because I am biracial. I identify as biracial. My mother is not a black woman. She's from Thailand. I grew up in a very, very hood environment. Um, when you look at me, I'm black. When I open my mouth, I'm black. Um, so for me, it was always a struggle of, well, I'm not too black. I'm not black enough for the black people. Um, people probably didn't know what I was, and it all kind of came through to fruition when the Meghan Markle situation happened. And a lot of my friends um, was mad because she identified as biracial and not black, and they let folks know it on social media. So my thing was, well, you didn't been at my house how many times? I didn't know you had a problem with me identifying as biracial. And one of the things that when and I get emotional about it because I'm 45 years old now and I still don't know where I fit in. I feel like I gotta act more black, kinda act a little bit out for people to take me seriously. Um, and my thing was there's so many level of diversities here, but how many of you felt like somebody like you was on the stage or somebody that looked like you was on the stage? Or you're not a doctor, you don't have those degrees behind your name. Um, and no matter what level you're on, I think we've all gone through our experiences as black women. Some of us are still going through them no matter what your pay range is. And I think for me, having the conversation with some high school students here, my son is the reason why I'm here. I did not want to come tonight. But my son was like, I want to go. He's always wanted to go to these events. And then I met his friend tonight. I'm calling you out because it was, we had a conversation on the car over here and it was, um, you know, there's so many levels of where you fit in in society. And even in high school, to hear if you're not in an AP class, if your parents didn't donate, 
Um, you know, I've been the only black person in a room and was chastised by not only the white people, but the black people in the room sometimes. And I think there's just so many levels to it, to where, it, I mean, I was sitting over here in a rage tonight listening because everything everybody said on stage was true. It was true. But still, I was like, well, there ain't no biracial folks up there. I mean, <laughs> where was my voice up there? So I think that's a struggle that a lot of people, no matter what you are or where you come from, you will never be fully represented. And I hope that makes sense. And something she said, and we can learn from our youth, and I'm gonna keep calling you out because we learned, she said, y'all paved the way for us. But nobody, I wanted to see a, a young person up there. That's what she said. I wanted to see a young person because our experiences are not like y'all's that you had. And I ain't old girl, we still going through it. We still are going through it. But if you have a, a young person, I would say mentor, that's very important. And, um, you know, I asked my, I wondered, does my son feel privileged because of who I am and the connections that I have? I've never heard that from him, but listening to her tonight, I'm just like, dang, does he feel like that? You know? So, I mean, just think about that. And if you do not have a chance to mentor somebody, my girl right here needs a mentor, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna be there, but she needs different people too, okay? Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. We have one more here, but I want to tell you first, some exciting news is we're bringing back local color in the fall. Um, so yeah, we want to participate with you. Please, please, please reach out to me, Vanessa at, the village, Vanessa at villagesquare.us, or just in the little message form on our website. I would love to talk with you more about that because we're making plans right now. And same for you, please. <laughs> Loved what you said. Um, the question in our group was, how do I not allow stereotype affect my life goals? Um, when we ended up talking in my group, I brought up the conversation of how this year I'm taking a class that I never took before. And when I first walked in, we did like group work and my classmate were saying how the answer was wrong or I need to add more. And then when I asked my teacher, she was just okay with it. She was like, yes, that's what I'm looking for. And that's the main topic. And in my group, the young ladies and young men, well, they're not young, but they're adults. <laughs> oh, young. And they were basically saying how we don't, I, don't, I shouldn't let the negative get to me because at the end of the day, that, that class will help me educate me better and have better understanding or better vocabulary to me. And I'm actually learning a lot in that class and I wasn't gonna take AP class next year and doing dual enrollment, but now they changed my mindset and that I need to take that AP and dual enrollment class. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Do we have one more over here? Okay. Good evening, everyone. My name is Janita Broxton, and I am a resident of Gaston County. Um, one of the questions that we had that came up was, what can you do to move forward in the fight for equality? Uh, being a resident in Gaston County, I have realized that we simply do not have the access to the same resources that are over here, at, right in the back door here in Tallahassee. And not only is it an access issue, it's also a mental fortitude issue. A lot of people do not even have the mental capacity to maybe even want to do better, but I think like this one lady over here was saying that having these conversations in multiple locations, especially in our rural communities, because it is certainly definitely needed. Um, I can go into the local Piggly Wiggly, if you will, and I will see a young woman in there with a baby, two babies, one in these two carriers, one running around in the, in the store. 
Well, that woman, she may not have the ability to come out to an event at 5.30 in the evening uh, because she doesn't have a babysitter. I didn't know if any childcare was offered tonight. Maybe it was, I'm not sure. I don't have any children. But you have to consider those things when you're wanting to engage the black woman at every level um, because, I mean, it's just very difficult, especially, like I said, for the, the rural black woman. That's a whole different experience. In Gaston County, we have all sorts of infrastructure issues. We, some folks, we don't, don't even have the internet. Um, we have septic, major septic issues. It's just a lot that's going on in the back door of Tallahassee that's not happening in Tallahassee, but we are your neighbors and we are experiencing a whole different life uh, than what people over right here in Tallahassee are experiencing. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming to Tallahassee, making this important. We appreciate you being here. Yes, do it. Oh, yes. I'm Gloria Jefferson Anderson from Tallahassee, Florida. Okay, and this is Jacqueline with me here. Now, I'm a genealogist, and uh, we, study the stu we study the history of our families, and we study the history of slavery. Now, I want Tallahassee people, to so you all in here, to understand that you all need to start working with your children so they will know who they are and where they come from. Let me tell you why. I'm 75 years old. I'm Gloria Jefferson. Guess where my people come from? Virginia. This is my friend Jacqueline. I just met her this afternoon, this evening. Guess where her family comes from? The Randolph. Thomas Jefferson's mother was a Randolph. Wow. Hello. So what I'm saying, <laughs> listen, make sure, it doesn't matter what they did, but make sure these children know who their people are. If you don't know it, you need to talk to somebody in the family. And here's another thing. Don't worry about that old drunk who everybody been saying, oh, he ain't no good, she ain't no good. Guess what? They may be the last ones to tell your story. That's all I got thank to say, I'm old school. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad we ended on that note, because that was great. Thank you so much for being here on behalf of the Village Square and Leon County government. Thank you, and good night. Hey there, it's Vanessa back with you. Just totally in awe of these ladies and their inspirational and oh so powerful message. This was a super fun night. I wish I could pass along the energy that was in that room. We had a packed house in a huge venue and we stuck around for over an hour talking to people who were super energized by this discussion. And we had a giant stack of questions that would have taken probably a week to get through if we'd asked them all. But you know, I could actually listen to these women for a whole week. I am still just soaking all this up. All right, so I just have one thing I want to comment on. I find this all really thought provoking. So multiple of the panelists talked about the experience of having to learn the game and then play it. I loved their openness and realness about this, you know, and it made me think about the times in my life where I have seen myself get a little bit feisty and occasionally I'll decide that, you know, I'm not going to play the game just because quote unquote, you're supposed to. And so thinking about this, you know, I think that me choosing to do that every now and then is coming from a place of privilege. I acknowledge that I may likely get another chance, even if I have to go to another circle and I have safety nets to fall back on based on family resources. And I realize that people aren't necessarily seeing me as representing my whole demographic when I get out of line or outside of their lines. Now check this out. As I was already pondering this as it relates to myself, a young black woman, probably under 20, I would guess, um, talked to me about her feedback of the program. She really loved, loved, loved this program, but she did offer a point of consideration for the future. She said that she wished that there had been somebody young on the panel to represent her age group. 
So I asked her what she would have commented on if she had been up there. And her response was about this playing the game thing. She doesn't necessarily agree with the approach of learning the rules and then playing along. And she felt like others in her generation might feel the same way. So now that really made me think, and by the way, I'm still thinking y'all, are these all just different perspectives or maybe different approaches for people on different paths, you know, based on where they choose they want to head? Or perhaps could it be that the women featured on the panel today, maybe they have some maturity and life experience over young women and, you know, more to lose likely. And then also at the same time, they don't have the luxury of privilege that supports my feistiness. Deep thoughts here, y'all. I don't have the answers, so I'll just leave that with you to ponder. But before I say goodbye, I do want to ask you, who is missing Nicole already? She is so wonderful. Y'all should really check out her show, Conversations with Nicole. And guess who was just recently a guest on season 12? That's right. Yours truly. Did you guys not see me raising my hand over here? All right, moving on. Please consider joining our members in support of this programming. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year. And your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Go to villagesquare.us and scroll to the bottom for the sign up box. Funding for this programming was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. The Village Square is a proud member of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. We appreciate you all listening to Created Equal, Black Women and the Fight for Equality. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.